What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Funky Brain Podcast. My name is Dennis, and this is my funky brain. But my guest today, he's joining us from Queensland, Australia. I was, that was like my, my really bad attempt. I'll let him do that later. We originally connected on LinkedIn because I was captivated by his positive messaging and his organic, genuine, motivational approach to life. He's been featured in Forbes magazine. He's the co-founder and director of the Eighth Mile Consulting, Mr. David Neal. How are you doing today, sir? Mate, I'm having a great day. I'm just happy to be here and be involved in the discussion. So I brought you here to discuss your journey from the Australian Army to becoming a successful business owner? I guess to answer your question a little bit about my background, uh, born and raised in a town in Canberra called Canberra in Australia. Um, I joined the army at 18 years old and I spent 13 and a half years in there. Ultimately, uh, so I was infantry corps, so kind of guys running around shooting and stuff like that. And, and those injuries uh, sustained over, over time, particularly stuff, you know, ankles, knees, back, neck, here in the bag it's like a it's like a um it's a package every infantryman gets and then um you know ultimately caught up to me and i was medically discharged i'm actually medically discharged with my good mate jonathan clark who's the other director of this company and we kind of found ourselves in this weird weird little spot is about you know we were these you know we're doing quite well our careers were humming along quite fine and you know, we're excelling, we're looking forward to our next command positions, which is, you know, what everyone's trying to achieve in that space. And then kind of boom, in like in a very short amount of time, it's kind of taken away from us. And so from that perspective, we, we were kind of like now on a new landscape and without without a translator for how to communicate to, I guess, what we'd, we'd call the corporate environment, you know, we just didn't. I didn't have that background there. I, I mean, I was completely involved in the army, holus bolus. I mean, I lived and breathed it. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a running joke that, you know, in the army, it's a 24-7 job. Like, the, you know, you might get, and when you break down your salary in the early days, it's like a dollar an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so now we're in this corporate environment and um, we, we initially jumped into uh, a job we both worked on a very large scale IT project in the non-for-profit space, you know, gone from a male dominated environment into a female dominated environment, totally different rules and everything. And, and you know, we, we hit the ground running like we always did. We worked as a team and we just started smashing things out. But um, I'll be really honest, like it, it was really hard to kind of redefine yourself for what you were now. You know, I mean, you were, this army infantry captain and you took a lot of pride with that. And there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of social respect that comes with that. And, and, you know, there's people look up to you. It's a, it, you know, it's a position of respect in the community. And then suddenly, boom, you know, in, in your, in, you know, your perspective at that time, you're a nobody. And, you know, you've come from a career where it's, you know, the dirty civilians, you know, like, what do they ever do? They're not doing it hard. Like we're always doing it hard, all that sort of stuff. And then suddenly, now you're one of them. What are you going to do about that? And so I found that was actually quite hard. And then at that same time, I, I had a, a fit, and I still do have a fair suite of injuries and a lot of kind of like pain-related injuries as a result. And so 
you know, we were trying to get through this job and we were doing like 16, 18 hour days back to back to back to back to pull this project, you know, pull it together. And so we're like popping pain meds, like they're going out of fashion, <laughs> like they're like bloody Tic Tacs, you know, and then, you know, a couple of bourbons and rums to get to sleep at night. And then I guess where we're heading for the purpose of this podcast is we got to a point where we met a, a gentleman by the name of Peter Keith, who, you know, later, I guess, fulfilled a bit of a mentoring role for us. He um, had developed a lot of the content for a very successful charity called Trojan's Trek. And Trojan's Trek um, works on this concept of accountability and, you know, like refiguring out who you are as a, a person and, and who you identify as. And, and so we were having these kind of like private discussions on the side. And um, I think what, what we can say with pretty, pretty strong confidence is that we were at that verge of going either left or right. And I think when we talked, Dennis, we talk, I talked about the, the victim mentality versus the casualty analogy. And, you know, in our previous world, a, a victim was someone who has let the environment control them and now they identify as a victim and that's their new identity. And a casualty is someone who identifies themselves as someone who's getting rehabilitated or they're forward looking for, you know, recovery or they're focusing on a new goal. And a casualty can be as hurt physically or mentally as a victim, but the casualty will come out and the victim will not. Um, and, and that distinction for me was like a, like a punch to the face, of which I've had many. <laughs> um, and... It was a bit of a shock to the system because I had never really thought of it from that perspective. And I, I started thinking, like, is, is what I'm doing hurting or harming me? You know, and what is it in my control that I can actually influence here? And so I think we caught it early in the, at the crossroads. But I've subsequently seen so many of my mates, my, my good friends, go down a very, very different path. And some of them aren't with us anymore as a result of that. Um, and hence why some of the projects and the work that I've explained to you in the past and the, in the veteran space that we do from the eighth mile, um, is, we're so passionate about because it's, it's bloody preventable and it's frustrating to watch. Um, and, you know, it doesn't take a lot to refocus someone if given the opportunity to talk to them directly and transparently and honestly. And it's very hard to have an honest conversation these days. I don't know what you think, Dennis. <laughs> It can be, yeah. It depends who you're talking to. One of the other reasons that I asked you to come on, because we were, we did just have this like casual conversation one day when we connected yeah. on LinkedIn. We're like, let's just set up a time to talk. And I was like, okay. And we just started talking, but it's your wisdom. Like you have wisdom beyond your years and you've obviously been through a lot. And so that's why I was like, wait, let's stop talking. Let's do like a podcast. And just share like some of your experience because whether you're overcoming an addiction or not, there's still struggles, right? We all, we've all had those struggles. And what you're talking about, oh, we're working 16, 18 hours a day. That's what it takes really to become a successful business owner. I had a successful business like 10 years ago, which I eventually lost, but I had a mentor along the way and I worked my ass off too. I was doing 18, 20 hour days. I would just fall asleep with my laptop in my bed on my the laptop on my lap. And I would just like be typing and fall asleep, wake up and start typing again. And I said to my mentor, because eventually that turned into success. 
the money started coming, like financial success, you know, there's different types of success. But I said to him, once, once all this turned around and I got out of debt and I was making really good money and I said, you know, I just got lucky, you know, and there's an old saying, it goes, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So your company, you, you work with um, lots of different types of businesses and help them turn their businesses around. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So when we first jumped out of defense, we went into um, the non-for-profit business. We were there for a year and then we launched the eighth mile and the eighth mile was launched on a number of observations in so far that we'd come from a culture of very, very strong mentoring and leadership and accountability. I mean, like it was bred into us. Um, you, You couldn't run if you tried. So you just didn't try after a point. You just accepted your crap. Like if you, if you, if you stuffed up, you stuffed up. Um, and for the ones that did try and hide their careers were short lived or they, they went to jobs that had very little impact and effect. So having this kind of drilled into us and then we jump in this new world and there's a culture, well, from the, you know, from an objective lens, from our perspective, after knowing what we felt good looked like to suddenly seeing this, this, um, kind of uh, misdirection culture it was like it wasn't me it was it was the environment it wasn't you know it wasn't the decisions I made we made them and it's like it's just watching it play out was you know it's like nails on a chalkboard for us because um you know we would just kind of stand there and go yeah we stuffed this up or we broke this and and why would we need to hide that I mean (laughs) like you're not going to fire me because I'm telling the truth, surely. Like the bad things are happening all the time, whether you know about them or not. And so it was just a really weird space for us. And that's why we launched the eighth mile. We're like, look, let's try and get some of this feeling of this culture, this, you know, this powerful leadership space and combine it with our knowledge of projects, um, which is essentially our tertiary lineage. And then link them together and go, let's actually help businesses get things up and off the ground and have teams that actually get jobs done. Like we, there's so much talk these days and no one's actually getting anything done. And so um, how <laughs> do we so cut through all... <laughs> like, there's a time for talking, absolutely. There's a time for doing as well. I mean, John O'Clark has a really good analogy. He's like, you know, sometimes you don't need someone to stand on the outside of a hole that you're in, that you're trying to dig. Um, and tell you how to dig. Sometimes you need someone to get in and help you dig the hole, you know? <laughs> um, right? Sometimes you just need someone to jump in there and get the work done. And so we kind of approach it from that perspective. We've got this very strong link between purpose and delivery in so far that we, we leverage on strategy. We talk day in, day out about strategy because it should really gear everything else that you do. And then you can have personal strategy, you can have business strategy, you know, team sporting strategies, but you need a, you need a direction to be heading and the direction needs to be understood by everyone. Um, and for your own personal strategies, you've got to know where you're heading. Um, and it's got to be clear. It's got to be measurable. Um, and, and from that point, that's why we, we did what we did in the corporate space. And so we started linking operations and projects to strategy. And that's what we're, that's kind of our bread and butter. Um, and then, we also put a lot of content on, out on LinkedIn that you've seen about leadership and accountability and, you know, owning, as Daryl Wall would say, owning your truth. Um, and that has resonated with a lot of people, hence that fellowship we've developed in, I guess, a pretty short amount of time. And it seemed like a, 
you kind of we kind of came out of nowhere but we it shouldn't have been that way it shouldn't it doesn't make sense that that's the case and one such example was you know when i first jumped on linkedin i just slapped out a 30 second post that said leadership is not about you and i said like three things it is and three things it isn't and that got shared like seven and a half thousand times and that angered me (laughs) it it angered me Oh, it angered me in the sense that this shouldn't be an amazing epiphany. The fact that leadership is not about you should not be a surprising comment. And it should be the sort of comment that gets lost in the ether. It should just be, yeah, of course, like it's just matter of fact. Of course, it's not about you. But it was not the case. And so, you know, the world spoke out openly about it. And, and I guess that launched us because it's like, all right, well, what else is not about you? Maybe you need to go help some other people. And like, and that, you know, we, we, and very shortly after that, we launched the mantra of good people helping good people. And in doing so, I think I said last time we talked, I acknowledge that not everyone's good. And so you need good, strong values to find other good, strong people in order to have an, an effect. You know, speaking of your addiction, your, your addiction stories, almost all of those will be will include parts of people's lives surrounded by people with poor values wow that's absolutely true yeah you're right yeah because i believe we're a victim of our environments people talk a lot about the genetic component but i think it's how you're brought up i think it's who you surround yourself with and that carries into every area it's not just addictions it's around business people it's around like success breeds more success you're hanging around with five millionaires you're going to be the next millionaire you're absolutely right and 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 you said something very subtle before but you're absolutely correct is what defines success i mean you might be hanging around four millionaires but you don't want to be like them at all Um, and you know i've got it's it's funny because i've got a lot of rich friends in certain circles who've done really well for themselves they've created businesses they worked you know incredible hours and they've taken incredible risks and now they're quite rich, but they're very unhappy people. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm glad you said it the way you did. And it's like, what defines success? Well, there's financial success, you know, and then there's inner peace and then there's your relationships, you know, the, and those, those inner peace, those relationships, those are the important definitions of success. You know, that when those are in line, the financial peace tends to work itself out. You know, if you're focused on that, you're not going to be as happy as you want to be. Now, I, I remember talking to my grandfather years ago and I was like, well, you know, he made a lot of money, you know, 50 years ago. The world was just still kind of growing, but he was all about money and he, he wasn't a really a good person. But I, I said to him when he was like 90 and you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I was like, you know what they say, grandpa, money doesn't buy happiness. You know what he said? He goes, bullshit. He goes, those, those people don't have any. You know, so, but he, he never really understood that concept. But what I, what I, I did a little homework into it and I was like trying to figure out, and the real truth is like, there's freedom in having money, you know, and with freedom comes happiness. So I do understand that, but it's like, you know, when you get into things like misquoting and I'm not a Christian, but you know, I know some philosophical stuff and what the Bible says in some areas, but money is the root of all evil, but that's not what the Bible says. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. So if you're putting money before your relationships and your health and your body, your spirit, all these other things, and you will do anything to get money, that's the root of evil. I heard a spin on this once before. Money doesn't make you better or worse. It just amplifies your character. 
but I, I think that that probably rings true. It's just it's it's a temptation, absolutely. But as you said, it, it can be a very empowering thing. But if you are raising money for good causes to do good things for the community, for the environment, list goes on. But if you're doing it for good purpose, you know you need money to have impact. You know, otherwise we're just talking about hallucinations. <laughs> it's not realities at, at some point. You can need money to do the things, to build the things and create the systems and link the people and, you know, things have got to get done. So I, I absolutely understand it. But I, I, I like the idea that if you're a good person and you've got good values, money won't change you. It'll just increase your reach. It will. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with making money. The world's an abundant place and we're entitled to that abundance. But it's like the money isn't the end game. I think that's what we're trying to say here. It's like money comes when you're doing, when you're living well. It's like when you ask a lot of people, it's like, what's your goal? Well, I want to be happy. Happiness is a byproduct of a life well lived. And so is money. Money is a byproduct of a life well lived. So if you're living your life well, you know, that money will come and you'll be happy. But if you're like stepping on people, that's why I say like, be careful on your way up who you're stepping on on your way up because you'll see them on the way down too. There's nothing magical here. There's nothing like super wise, like be a good person. Don't be a douche, you know, do the best that you can. And then, you know, work hard, find some good purpose and be of service and give back and all these things. And then all the the money will all follow you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to go back to um, the accountability piece that you talked about because you've brought it up a bunch of times. It's right behind your head there. It says accountability. Like all these goals that we're talking about, they rarely happen without accountability. You can set goals, you know, they need to be manageable and uh, time bound, right. And they, and attainable, you know, those smart goals, but you need to have somebody else, somebody around to hold your feet to the fire. When you see billionaires, successful people, financially successful people, companies, presidents, leaders, they, don't, they rarely make these decisions on their own. They all have accountability partners or even teams to help get them there. So that's why you're successful in your business. I put so much weight on accountability. What you mentioned there, I would put as the word objectivity, having a, a different frame of reference or a different lens on you as a person and the way you approach your strategy, which is what we talked about before. Having a somebody come in from the fringes to go, have you thought of, have you considered, you know, and, and draw out new alternatives and new opportunities. I, I once worked um, on another, on a separate podcast with a lady by the name of Bronwyn and we'll tag her in this cause she's, she's awesome. Um, but she talks about bias and, and she, she's, I've listened to a lot of her work and she's very, very subtle, but she's very, very intelligent. And she's figured out how powerful the, the effect of bias really is like you you've had your your experience in life i've had mine and there are people all around the world who have completely different frames of reference different cultures different values different beliefs everything and so you know if you're trying to create high performing teams which is essentially what we do at our company you need a level of objectivity to get from good to excellent you need something that's not in your sphere of influence or knowledge. You need something to come from the outside and go, did you know that, you know, the Russian figure skating team did this? And did you know that they've approached it in this way? And, you know, and you're just like, Jesus, completely 
abstract to where I am right now, but it's actually quite relevant with objectivity linked to a culture of accountability. You can do anything. You, you're literally unstoppable um, because you will just keep evolving at a faster rate than the environment can hit you. Your company's motto, it's good people helping good people. So what does that mean to you? Like, where did that come from? I mean, I kind of know, but you have to, you have to like uh, align with the company that you're helping or the people that you're helping, or you, you feel like that's an important part of the process, right? We, we've turned down a large number of clients and we did in the early days at the expense of our revenue as well, which was hard. You know, you talk about the, the, the hard right over the easy wrong. We were living that going, you know, this, this doesn't feel right. This, this person or this organization, they feel like a bad person. They don't have any interest in anyone else other than themselves. And some of the measures for that is they're talking, it's I, me, me, I, I, blah, 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 blah. I was like, you know, how does this project or how does this serve anyone other than yourself? And you'd ask them a question like that. And they're like, what if it does just serve me? I said, well, we're in, we've got different values. Um, and, and we started leaning more and more on our values. And I was like, you know, we'd rather burn this company to the ground than subscribe to the concept that we have to sell out. Because of that, we've held consistent to our brand and our brand grows in strength every day because people like to rally behind the idea that there's this group that will literally burn their company to the ground then then go the wrong path. And we, we, that's why we run a filter over everything we do the objectivity on our accountability within our team. Like, is this a good project? How could this be pulled apart? Like, how do we pressure test this? How is it supporting the community? How's it supporting veterans? How's it supporting, how's it blah, 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 blah. We can go on for days. But the point is, if it's not serving something other than yourself, then you're probably sapping the precious resources on this planet, including time, which I'd say is our, probably our most precious resource is time. You know, you know no amount of money ever bought you an extra second. You know, not one, not one person could convince me otherwise of that. And so if time is our most precious resource, what are we doing with it? And who are we associating? You know, we talked about who we're associating with before. Who are we spending our precious finite time with? I, I got to a point where I was like, you know, I'm trying to convert people and, you know, from a leadership perspective, I, I was also hit with that mentor I told you about before who said, you know, you can't change someone's mind. All you can do is provide additional information that might lead them to a different conclusion. And the moment that happened, it meant, it meant so much for so, so many other things in my life. It was like, I'm not going to spend that extra hour on social media trying to change someone's mind. What I might do is put in a different post communicated in a different way but if it doesn't gel it doesn't gel i'm not wasting my time trying to convince this one human for the purposes of my ego of winning um <clears throat> i'm not doing it it's a waste of my time it's a waste of their time um we've got a hundred things we could do in in that in that space in, in that time when you start thinking about how you're leaning into time as a resource you know, I don't know about you, but it, it puts, it gives me a jolt of adrenaline because I'm like, geez, what am I doing? What am I doing right now that's actually helping as opposed to harming me? You know, could I just drop down and do 10 push-ups? Could I go for a walk? Could I go call that person I didn't call because I want to watch Netflix? Like, 
I could, I could do so many things and they're all linked to choice. It's all this accountability things all about recognizing that every single thing you do has, a, it is based on a choice. You choose to do nothing or you choose to do something, but either way, it's a choice. You know, when people go, you know, they did this to me, they, 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 it's like, okay, they had choice in this, but I'm kind of reading into it too. And I'm not part of a victim blaming men, um, culture, but there's a level of choice in staying in septic environments is a level of choice in where you put your money. If you choose to put that into buying alcohol or buying drugs, as opposed to putting it in your kid's college fund, that was a choice. That was a choice that you made. And I know that there are strong influences driving you down one path or the other, but it is a choice. And when you're sitting on your deathbed and you look back on your life, you'll look back and the, I bet you a million dollars, although it'd be irrelevant at that point, is that you will think of all the choices you could have made and all the things you could have done differently and all the lessons you should have learned from earlier. I bet you that's what will be on your mind. And that's what's on my mind. So that's why I'm always thinking like, what, am, what, would, if, what do I do now to leave the legacy for my deathbed? And if I know it's a bit morbid, but when you think about it like that, you're like, man, I've got a ticking clock. This thing's ticking right now. Even right now it's ticking. So I hope this conversation serves someone well. Um, but it's just always going. And, and when you kind of approach it from that angle, you, you get moving and you get moving fast because you, you just don't have the time to muck around. I want to talk about that again real quick. I mean, you just crushed it. People talk about what's your most valuable asset. And, you know, people think it's their money or their cars, their houses, their investments, but that's not true. It's time. Time is your most valuable asset, right? So with that in mind, how are you spending your most valuable asset? Are you spending it worrying about what somebody wrote on social media or what some politician is saying or doing that doesn't care about you, even though they make it seem like they do, right? Or are you using your time wisely? Are you spending your most valuable asset wisely by mapping out strategic steps to get to where you want to be and then having somebody in your life, whether it's like a coach or a consulting firm or whatever it is to help get you there and hold your feet to the fire? Or are you worrying? Are you sitting on your phone looking at social media? You know, so the choice is yours. You know, we're not responsible for what may or may not have happened to us in the past, but we're responsible for our lives moving forward and for our reactions to what happens to us too. There is a level of expectation that I would impose upon pe people to understand is that you owe them a level of service as do they owe you a level of service. And so, you know, I, I had a, a good analogy given to me once before is about the, the, the concept of what can you influence and what can you control? If you can't influence and you can't control it, move on. Find something else that you can influence and control. If you're watching the news and you're watching world events and they're giving you anxiety. Stop doing you, that. <laughs> right? Or if it's within your, your remit and your ability to influence and control it, go and do something about it. Go join in charity and get on the ground and go pick up buckets and move rice bags and stuff like do something about it if you choose not to do something about it 
because it's outside the scope of what you can deal with right now, find something closer to home and do that. And turn the bloody television off and go fix something at your doorstep. And once you fix that, go fix someone at some, something at someone else's doorstep and start leaning into the things that you can influence and control. Because otherwise you're just going to be hallucinating. You're just going to be sitting there rationalizing the world in a completely unresourceful manner. And it's not going to lead you anywhere other than back into your own brain where you're just going to go downhill. Yeah. You get you right back into that victim mentality. Right. And you blame, you know, and I was talking, don't blame, complain or accuse, right. Get up and do something. It's really that simple. You have to make a start sitting around, not getting anywhere and then blaming the world for your circumstances. Is it going to get you nowhere? You could do that for years and people do for years. Get up and make a start. Do something. You know, if you want to lose 30 pounds, go for a walk. If you want to start a business, you know, you can start a, a Facebook page for free. Go out, you can start a company page, John's carpet cleaning business. Now you have a business. Go do something. Do something and yeah. surround yourself with people that can help get you where you want to go. And I say that all the time. It's like, uh, if, you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I'm always in the right room then. <laughs> <laughs> Another way I've tried to explain this particular concept, and particularly for my work in Trojan's Trek, which is um, a veteran-based charity that deals with uh, veterans and ex-emergency service personnel, like fireys, ambulance, you know, cops, all that sort of stuff, that are right kind of down the far end of the spectrum. Like these are the people that everyone's kind of like, this is a bit too grimy for us to deal with. And I'm talking about people who have killed themselves, who've had a good crack at it, you know, have serious addictions. Um, also people who um, are coming in and out of jail. Like that's our, that's our clientele. From that, I've always put a frame of it that good friends will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That's right. And what you deal with that is a reflection of you. If you choose to be offended by everything that is thrown at you, you will forever be offended because suddenly you are changing the level of accountability of your part in it. You're just removing it and saying, I'm a victim. I'm just getting smashed from all sides here. I'm offended by everything, but I'm not doing anything about it other than maybe yelling at people, which is probably not help, helping anyone. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, good friends will tell you what you need to hear. At that point, when you receive that information, and I, I always challenge my friends to tell me something I might not want to hear, and sometimes they hate hearing me say that because they get all uncomfortable, but they do it anyway. The moment you get that piece of information, stop. Don't say anything. Just stop and listen to what that person is saying to you and understand they're probably doing it from an angle of love. They're probably telling you something you need to hear and it's probably more uncomfortable for them than it is for you. And you're not, you know, don't be the victim in that. Be the person that can take that information and turn it into something resourceful and use it as a mechanism to relink that relationship with that person and strengthen it there stronger than it was ever been before. Just shut up. Just listen to the thing that the person is saying and don't reply for a bit and think about your response because it always seems to be that, that tiny junction when someone gives them that information, they're like, oh, they are always attacking me and this and that. And it's like, well, maybe you needed to hear it and you chose not to listen at that point. And that's, 
that's on you. That's not on them. Um, and I actually have more respect for the other person, providing they're not bullying someone. They're doing it in the right way, in the right context, and for the right purpose. But just listen. So back to my grandfather, you know, he was, again, not the most awesome person. But you can't live to be that old without some wisdom, right? And he, I remember talking to him one day, and he was, he was saying all this stuff, this wisdom, these things that probably could have changed my life. And I said to him one day, I said, Grandpa, how come you didn't tell me this 30 years ago? And you know what he said? No, he said, I did. Oh, even worse. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, listening is a lost art. If you can master listening, you'll get far. So that's such a great point you bring up. A lot of us hear stuff, but there's a difference between hearing and listening. And then mm. also another awesome thing I love that you said is just sitting with that information. Don't react. Don't respond. Sometimes, I mean, you have to use your judgment, but sit there and listen to that and then take it and do something with it. You know, and sometimes it might be the wrong thing, but just listen. You know, and listening is invaluable for your whole life, whether it's a business thing or your relationships or, you know, the person in the store. Like somebody might just need to say something sometimes. And always like when you get into less, the less is more thing. When people come with some sort of problem, whether it's an addiction or relationship problems, whatever it is that we're talking about, it's not here. Let's add a bunch of stuff into your life to try to fix that. It's always remove the blockages first, the unhealthy, harmful behaviors, belief systems, values, the things that are keeping you from growing or moving beyond whatever challenge it is that you have right now, then we can add stuff. So what are some of the struggles that you face? You know, like when they look at the eighth mile, they see this awesome set behind you with the, the powerful colors and the bold writing and the successful guy sitting here, but there was a lot of struggles along the way. What's a, like one big struggle that you had where you were like, I don't know if I can make it. Cause this is the type of stuff that I want people to hear. People that are struggling, that are just down and feel like they're never going to get ahead. They don't see like we've all been there. And then you have to overcome that to get to where you want to be. So I want them to hear you say, you know, I had to overcome this. Well, I, I would say that the identity piece has always, so the kind of, it's kind of like imposter syndrome. And so you start to wonder like, you know, do I actually know this content? Um, are we actually providing value? You know, is the market too, you know, full of people like us? Like you start rationalizing nothingness. And, you know, I, the one thing I would say that the lesson I've learned is to ignore that voice in your head. That is not your friend. That, that voice will rationalize anything it wants to. And, and all you need to do, if you, if you want to think big, look at world history. You've got, at any one time, you've got wars all around the world where people are rationalizing that that is the right thing to do. And they're completely avid that they're correct and the other person is wrong. That is rationalization. You know, Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense, um, is also one of the most intelligent men of the last century, said that rationality alone will not save you. Um, and he was actually referring more broadly to like the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that sort of stuff with these two powerhouse, um, you know, superpowers with all the intelligent, exceptionally educated people, 
rational individuals on both sides nearly came toe to toe with nuclear war. Like, how does that happen when we're all rational people? The answer is rationality is not the solution. Objectivity is having a something from the outside that will slap you over the head and go, get out of your own head and start doing something productive. And I, I felt that during the creation of the eighth mile. And um, there are times when you're like, you're just thinking about stuff that just isn't, it doesn't exist. You're just fabricating nothingness. And so you start to wonder like, should I be doing this? Can I afford it if it all goes wrong? Can I, you know, like, am I, am I leading people on? Am I a good leader? What gives me the right to talk to people about leadership? All these sorts of things. You know, I'm young, you know, should I be talking to senior executives about this sort of stuff and will they listen? And, and at some point I just kind of like, I, I just, I just wound it down. I just, I was just like, just shut up. You just white noise. It's turned it, it's, turned, it's still kind it's always there. You can't turn it off, but I just, just wound it right down. It's just this low hum that I can listen to if I really want to, but most of the time I choose not to. And I start, instead of listening to the voice in my head, I start listening to other people. And now I'm learning, I'm learning so much faster. Um, and so that has been a profound change for me in the last couple of years. And I think that was the jump into fatherhood with my kids. I think that was the jump into outside of defense and looking at the world from a completely different lens and now forcing myself to learn quickly in a new business model, um, you know, and a new business structure and all of this sort of stuff. It's all new for us. Um, I think I'm learning faster than I've ever learned before because I just, I now know what I'm looking for and I'm finding it everywhere. I mean, they call it frequency bias. When you look for something, you'll find it. You start, you ever think like, oh, I've seen a lot of red cars today and you just see red cars everywhere. It's called frequency bias. And so I'm trying to use leadership as the mechanism. I see it everywhere now. And now it's content for my company and things are just getting faster and easier as we go. That is so awesome. So I use that concept in my coaching practice. So when I'm coaching people, because I don't just do addiction recovery, it's life mastery. It's I cover a, a lot of different areas, but I call those everything you were just saying. I'm not good enough to talk to these executives. Like, who am I to do this stuff? And I call those bullshit stories, right? So I have my clients write down what stories, what bullshit stories are you telling yourself that are keeping you from getting here? So I'm not good enough for a relationship. Who am I to be sober? I'm never going to be sober more than a year. I'm, I've screwed up my whole life. I'm never going to lose that 30 pounds and become the fit person I want to be. I'll tell you what, for those that are watching that don't know me, Dennis Berry, I lost like almost 80 pounds. So you can turn your life around anytime you want to. If you stop telling yourself those stories and what we do, we write these stories down that these people are telling about themselves. And this is coaching and this is consulting for you. You can have your clients do this too. You can say to your clients, what stories are you telling yourself why your business isn't getting here? So let's make a list of those stories. And then we're going to create action steps to get to smash those stories, to smash those lies that we're telling ourselves that we're not good enough for this relationship or this success or this body or this health or this sobriety, whatever it is. And we all do it. We all tell those stories. It goes back to accountability. I need somebody to be accountable to because rarely do we just lay in bed and write these things down by ourselves. 
right? So if I have somebody to guide me through the process, so I love how you brought that up. It's such a powerful, powerful practice to use. The one thing I would, um, I would reinforce on the back of what you just said, which was just mint, was tell yourself what you do want. If you want to be reinforced psychologically to achieve something, you need to tell it what you do want. I want to be healthy. I want to be a good role model for my children. I want to be a good sportsman or whatever it is. Tell yourself what you do want because, you know, people go, I want to quit smoking. They, they never achieve it easily and, you know, all the stats prove it unless they go, I want healthy lungs. I want to be around my kids for the longest amount of time possible. When you say that, you will start finding not just smoking, you'll start thinking about your diet, about the people you hang out with, about whether you spend that extra 30 minutes on Netflix or you go for a walk, or you will start looking at the world through a completely different lens. And the moment you do it, everything starts aggregating. It's not just the cigarettes, it's everything else that goes with it. You know, you start thinking, do I want to put my money into cigarettes or do I want to put it in, you know, my trust fund for my, my kids or whatever it is, you know, do I, want to, do I want to buy my wife flowers, you know, for God's sake, like may, maybe it's something more productive. And so you'll start looking for it because your body and your brain are starting to find the opportunities in the strategy. It's a strategy. You're giving it something to work to. Until you've got that, you, you'll just keep bouncing around and you'll fail over and over and over again and you won't figure out why, but it was just such a subtle shift in the way you approached it. Awesome stuff, man. Yeah, really awesome stuff. One last question before we close this up because we could probably do this for another few hours, but we can't. <laughs> so I ask this kind of frequently. If you can go back and talk to your 15-year-old self, what would you tell that guy? I would tell him to figure out what his values were and to define them. Who you are is not your position or what you're doing with your time. It's in the sense of, you know, your job or anything like that. It's who you are in adherence to your values. For me, I would have defined these values that you're seeing behind me right now at the age of 15, and it would have changed the way I did things. I did some pretty bad stuff when I was younger, I could have avoided that very, very easily had I known my values and defined them. Um, but there, you know, there's no failures, there's only learnings. And so from that perspective, I, I've, I've got what I've got. So we just move with what we've got now. Yeah, you know? I love that. And uh, you know what else I love? Because I was just going to close it up right now. But I want to say this one last thing. What you just said is so awesome. There are no failures, only learning. Right? You just said that. And I was taught this too. It was like, no, nobody fails at anything. All we do is produce results. So what do you do with the results that you produce? So if I throw you a soccer ball and you drop the soccer ball, are you a soccer failure? No. Like I'll throw you the ball again. You'll catch it next time. Now you're a soccer success, right? So if you're a real estate agent and you're selling this house and the deal falls through, are you a real estate failure? Or do you just go, you go sell another house and then you become a real estate success. So all we do is produce results, but we can get hung up in that failure really easily. It's easily to get down on yourself and sit down and say, Oh, the world's against me. Go fall back into the victim mode. 
and say, oh, yeah. you're a failure. But that's more stories that we're telling ourselves, right? Yeah, so I love that. David, you are awesome. I want to do it again sometime. Um, how can we reach you? How can all these next big multi-billion dollar companies reach out to David Neal and the 8th Mile Consulting? Website, 8thmile.com.au. Um, we have a very, very strong LinkedIn presence. We, um, we're, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're pretty easy to find. So it's 8thmile.com.au for the easiest solution there. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate you hanging out on the Funky Brain Podcast. And right on, everybody. Thanks. I hope you learned something good today. I did. I learned a lot today, actually. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the Funky Brain Podcast. And have a great day. If you're not having a great day today, then go have a great day. So you can't think your way into a new way of acting. You have to act your way into a new way of thinking and being. Hi, I'm Dennis Berry, best-selling author, speaker, and life coach for addiction recovery. So many people are stuck in their addiction, whether it's like drugs or alcohol or food or shopping or sex or money, and they think they could just stop or try to figure it out on their own, but they don't change anything in their lives. Nothing changes if nothing changes. In order for change to happen, you have to change something. My clients will be like, oh, I'll stop tomorrow, or if this happens, then I stop, or someday I'll just give it up. And then they just sit around and think, 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 and hope for different or better results, but it doesn't happen. You have to take action. Action most people aren't willing to take. People don't become willing until they're in enough pain, me included. And unfortunately, they wait, and they wait and time passes by. Even if you are willing, you don't even know where to begin. And that's where I come in. In my best-selling book, Funky Wisdom, A Practical Guide to Life, I talk about the how approach. How do I get sober? How do I stop doing drugs? How do I become healthier? How do I have more successful relationships? How do I become more financially successful? And the answer is how. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I have to honestly admit that there's a problem. I have to honestly admit that things aren't going well and there needs to be changes. And then once I do that, the door opens and I become open to seeing new ways of living. And then I become willing to make those changes. You can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. That's why I'm here to help. And you know, I've been working with clients for over 15 years and helping them get clean and sober and change their lives and achieve inner peace and success. If you or somebody you love is struggling and doesn't know where to begin and how to make those changes to get to where they need to be, give me a call. Not tomorrow or in a week from now when you are hungover and your life is falling apart. Call now. Start making that change today and you'll be glad that you did. I'm sending you love and good vibes. Have a great day today.